Good morning, Calvary. It's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. I've missed you. Have you thought about me? No, you just laugh about it. That's fine. If we haven't met, my name is Thomas, and I'm here with Pastor Tom. Tom's the senior pastor of Calvary. And for the last few weeks, um, I've been actually going to all of our campuses and visiting with the campus in Thornton and even online and then in Boulder. And now it feels so good to be back on my home campus here in Erie. And it's just a wonderful observation for me and my family to visit the other campuses. And when you walk in them, they're, they're all a little bit different because they look like their community. They're, they're intentional about the community they're trying to really, their reach. But it just feels like Calvary. And there's that Calvary warmth and community and the welcome and the worship and then the preaching of God's word. And, and then there's just the sense of, he's, this is another group of people that's on mission together, that's gathering at the same times, trying to be fully devoted to loving God and loving others, reaching their community with the good news of the gospel. And so it's wonderful to see what happens in each of those spaces but it's especially wonderful to be back home on the Erie campus. Um, and we've been in this series called Beyond Blue. Uh, there, there are just moments in, in our own personal lives where we get gripped by hardship and we want to move beyond, move through past seasons of despondency and despair. We've been talking about those seasons when there's doubt that comes and frustrations, when that we live in seasons of chronic fear and chronic fear produces irrational decision-making, and there's like fallout from that. And, and then how do you build reservoirs of hope? How do you sit in the midst of lamenting, lamentations? Um, and today we're gonna to talk a bit about, about despair. And, and Tom, why is it important that we have conversations like this? I think it's because we all go through it. We all have it. And uh, to be honest with you, to talk about a series on fear, anger, depression, anxiety, uh, you know, let's talk about those things. But the fact of the matter is we all go through it and we have these difficult seasons that each of us experience. And so when we think of despair, who comes to your mind immediately when you start thinking of biblical stories and the narratives? Yeah. So one thing I would say, um, like we are, we are complex beings as human beings. We're physiological, we're intellectual, we're emotional, we're sexual. And um, that's a complex of what it means to be human. And when we were kids, we all learned basic first aid with each other. We knew how to clean a scratch, put a Band-Aid on, got a little more complicated. You could put a tourniquet on somebody or even some of us know how to do CPR. And we got well-versed on helping people in physiology. But the one thing that we didn't get that good at is helping people with um, mental health. And the fact of the matter is we're all on a mental health journey. We really are. And we, we not addressed how to help someone who's struggling in an emotional or mental health issue. And what we've tended to say is, uh, if you're a Christian, well, then you just need to have a quiet time and you know, get your spiritual life together, and those things won't happen for you. Um, oh, you already have one, and you're still discouraged? Oh, you need to get up earlier and stay longer. You know, that's, that would be the men. Or, or you need to go see an expert. And I believe in expert help. I've had it. But the reality is, 
We're all on this journey together, and the Bible normalizes a part of spiritual, emotional, and mental health as a part of what it means to be human. We've been redeemed by Jesus, and we're in the process of being sanctified. But the fact of the matter is we all struggle in many ways. I have a friend who's involved in big data, and he's uh, doing research all the time. And he said during COVID, in one particular snapshot, they did um, a summary of what was the most searched for key words in the midst of COVID. And this is what the slide looked like. I can't read the fine print on that, (laughs) but I'm going to go with (laughs) depression, anxiety, what does anxiety feel like? Emotional abuse, depression quiz, am I depressed? Encouraging Bible verses, anxiety tests. Raise your hand in this room if you have searched something like that in the last two years for yourself or for someone. Yeah. Remember, this is church. You can't lie in church. <laughs> I've punched search words in like that yeah. in the last two years. Yeah, I think the world is searching. And the reality is this, that hopelessness happens to the best of us. And everybody goes through episodes of discouragement and despondency. It's a part of what it means to be human. It's a common occurrence, even if you have great faith. That's the next slide. You know, all of us experience this kind of thing. And We're talking about it together because we think that God wants to meet us in it. And we might be surprised to learn that uh, or or admit that we have these challenging times, but in fact, the Bible is filled with episodes of people who had great faith in God, were used by God, and went through these periods of great despondency. We say, how does that go together? We're living in a broken world. We ourselves are broken, and God is redeeming us, but it's a process that he takes us through in all of this. So you think of some examples in the Bible, and you think, well, who, who is a great hero of the faith who had a hard time? Well, think about Moses. In the Bible, Moses was used by God, called by God to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt, and in one particular place in Numbers 11, while they're wandering in the wilderness, Moses declares these words, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. (laughs) If I find favor in your sight, if you're happy with me, kill me now that I may not see my wretchedness. That's Moses, our hero. This is Moses who stood up to Pharaoh This is Moses who orchestrated through God's power the 10 plagues, opened the Red Sea. This is Moses, the man of God, who stood there and he said, I've had it. If I have to keep doing this, it's just, notice what he says, I don't want to see my wretchedness. What God asked me to do is just continually exposing my inadequacies and it makes me feel terrible. That's Moses. So what do I see? I see Moses being up on the mountain with God, face to face with him, and then coming down, leading his people, and going through this dark valley of despair. How about Job? Job's another one who was righteous, blameless in all his ways before God. God 
God blessed him with so much, and then God allowed him to go through this inexplicable experience of suffering. And at one point in his suffering, in Job chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, he said, Oh, that I might have my request, that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, and that he would loose his hand and cut me off. This is suicidal ideation in Job. The very same man who said later in the book of Job, even if he slays me, yet will I trust him. What are you seeing? Pattern? Mountaintop, valley, huge despair. And Job was there. You could go to Jeremiah. You could go to Elijah. Each of them had these troubles. And I think all of us would say, we know what it is to be in a valley and to be really in low periods. I think we both have pastor heroes that we look to who preached on Sunday morning and curled up in a ball on Sunday afternoon. I've experienced that you myself. Know <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I can't believe that. You know, it, and then the weight of it all. And if there's one more hero in the Bible that I would look to, it would be David, king of Israel, who followed God. He was a man after God's own heart. God chose him and said, I, I want you to be king. And he failed, and God blessed him. But at one point in uh, Psalm 42, 6, he said, my soul is cast down within me. What does that look like? What, what kind of posture is that? Maybe I could illustrate it like this. My soul is cast down within me. What's the next line? Therefore, I remember you. When a person is depressed or despondent or in despair, this is the posture. And the whole world gets really small, and all we can see is our pain. And David just said, in that moment, I remember you. Part of the ministry of this series and all of our lives is to get a bigger view of God. And the bigger our view of God, the more these problems that cast our soul downward make sense. I've often said that when we have our our problems, we tend to have this mess of problems, and then we interpret God through the problems. And the key to having hope is, is having a bigger view of God so that we look through the lens of who is God in the midst of my problems, and then try to interpret the complexity of things that don't make sense in this broken world in my, my world. I'm cast down, therefore I remember you. And our prayer for this series is that you would have a bigger view of God, that, that God has come into a broken world. We're broken, we're crushed at times, but the more we see who he is and why he came, the, the better we'll be. Uh, we, we need a bigger view of who he is. And that's the mission of a church is to go into the lives of other people and say, this is who God is. He will meet you in the suffering that you're in, but he is greater than our suffering. He's bigger than our suffering. He's not 
disconnected from our suffering. He's a God who suffered in order that we might be in relationship with him. Aren't you glad that our Savior suffered? It makes sense if we suffer with some of these things. So part of the mission of this series has been, Thomas, just to help us get a bigger picture of how we do this with each other. And Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, says this. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for Christ did not please himself. I think it's helpful in a community like Calvary Bible Church in Erie to realize that some of us are going to be on top of the world and we're feeling great, and some of us feels like the world's on top of us. And that's the community where those of us who are strong bear the weaknesses of others and not just please ourselves, but please our neighbor. And that's really it's incumbent on us to do that with each other. Yeah, we want to be people who supply helps to others. We know that helping brings healing to hurting hearts. When we help one another, when we engage in other people's lives, that actually brings a tangible presence and help to hearts that are hurting. And that is an act of of service that comes from a place of strength. And seasons can be seasons of strength. You might be in a season of strength that you're able to offer helps. Um, You might be in a season of weakness and despondency and despair, and I would encourage you to receive those sorts of helps. It's good for your well-being to both give and to receive helps. Um, Social scientists and mental health experts actually have studied this for a long time about our different ways in which our bodies respond to acts of service either serving or being served. Back in 2003, there's a study that actually looked at a Presbyterian church of those who were actively involved in in regular service. And they concluded that both helping others and receiving help were significant predictors of mental or mindful health. But then at the end, this is what's amazing, this is the conclusion, but giving help was more important as a predictor of better reported mental health than even receiving it. It's like Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. There's something of when we actually participate in doing what God calls us to do in people's lives, in a place of strength, helping those who are in need, it's good for our well-being, as well as it's good for our well-being to receive that help. Let let those helps of other people's presence and resources come into our lives. Don't be too prideful. Don't have a stiff upper lip and pretend like everything's fine. Let others serve you. That's to our benefit. And so, I think when Paul writes here, you know, we who are strong have an obligation to the failings of the weak. It's like, how do we use our strength then? So God has given, I think even his church, this strength. And there are some churches that want to use their strength and build a big, huge fortress and really remove themselves from the world around them. They, they use their strength as a family and try to build a fortress as a family and build big walls that the world will never get into. So everyone just runs in and is protected there. But really, it's God who is our refuge and our strength. And so we don't want to be a church that's just this big fortress that just removes itself and isolates itself from the world and its hurts and needs. Other churches will say, okay, well, let's be a force. Let's use our strength and let's rally together and let's like pit them versus us. And we'll just go after them and we'll antagonize them and challenge them. We'll be a force in strength to be reckoned with. 
And that's not the church we want to be either. We want to use our strength not as a fortress or a force, but really as a fragrance. We want to be a strong smell, so to speak, uh, like a middle school boy. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, we want to be a fragrance, right? Because thanks be to God that in Christ, who always leads us in triumphal procession, like victory, and spreads the fragrance, the smell of the knowledge of him, of Christ and his salvation, his work and his hope and his healings everywhere through us. And so we use our strength as a strong fragrance and some smell it and they smell death and others smell and they smell life. But that's what we want to be as a church is in our DNA is our strength is to be present with people in times of need to offer helps that they would have the aroma of Christ, of hope and help in their life. Now, how did this really become part of Calvary's DNA? I mean, it hasn't always been. There's been there in punctuated seasons and moments. Calvary's been around for 133 years. But I know over 20 years ago, there was this intentional leadership move from you and elders and staff to build a church with that kind of DNA, to help people who are hurting. Um, well, part of it is because the longer an organization exists, the more energy it takes to sustain the organization. And so there's just always a default position that you're going to look in toward yourself first. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. And we said, how do we help Calvary Bible Church be a church that distinctively goes out into the world and brings the kingdom And especially today, with all of the troubles of the last two years, we're very aware that the world is in trouble. And 20 years ago, we said, you know, we've got to become the kind of church that goes out into the world. So what can we do at Calvary Bible Church to help our whole congregation think the kingdom of God has come, we're representatives of the king, how do we push the kingdom out? So we decided we're going to try to do uh, some assignments together and they're called kingdom assignments. How many have been around the kingdom assignments? All right. So I'm going to, Thomas asked me to give you a quick review of the kingdom assignments. Let's do history. History, history lessons are fun. June 15th, uh, 2003, I, I preached on the parable of the talents where Jesus talked about three people that he came to in this parable and he gave to one five talents, he gave to another two talents, and he gave to a third one talent. And the master called for the results of the talents. And the one who got five brought 10. The one who got four brought, one who got two brought four. And the one who had one, anybody know that story? Yeah, he buried it in the ground and he didn't bring anything. And what was the master's diagnosis of the one who did nothing with what he was given from God? What was the diagnosis? It's not kind. It's brutal. The master called him a wicked servant because he had so much given to him and did nothing with it. On June 15, 2003, we, we said, you know what? We need to become a kind of church that recognizes that everything we have comes from God, and we're going to do an assignment together. And I said, some of you are going to be changed forever because of this, and we pray our church is going to be changed And in both of our morning services, this was in Boulder, I asked for 50 volunteers to come forward to do an assignment together that would change our church. And in each service, 50, 54 or so people came forward. And I said, your assignment, if you choose to accept it, will be to take what we give you today 
multiply it, and give it away to whomever God leads you to. And we walked across the front of the room with 50 people. We gave them each a crisp $100 bill. And we just said, we want you to think about this. As God giving it to you, you go multiply it, give it away to whomever, and you have to come back and tell us what you did with it. And the mission is, we're here in the world to be God's representatives, to take his resources and bless people with it. It was electric in the room. And people wrote down their names, what they're going to do. We had accountability, and everybody took their $100 and went out. We gave away $10,000, and people just said, how am I going to multiply this? And one family went home. They went right to Costco. They bought a whole bunch of stuff for lasagna, and they made eight trays of lasagna. And then they went around the neighborhood and sold the trays of lasagna and told them we're raising money for a family in Africa. And $100 in lasagna became $800, and they sent it off there. Um, Somebody else took their $100. They went and got stuff for a dog wash in Boulder, and they raised $1,300. That probably could only happen in Boulder, but that's what (laughs) happened. (laughs) And then they gave it to the safe house, and the safe house took that, and they were overwhelmed. And all around, these 100 people who had $100 did their best to multiply it just as God led them to do it and then to give it away to whomever God led them and come back and tell the story. We calculated when we got all the stories back that the $10,000 we gave away became about $48,000 dispersed in all these multiple ways that went out. And we just said, what we have is from God for God to bless people. The kingdom has come, go do it. One of my favorite stories from that was at the end of the second service, I believe, uh, there was a young boy by the name of Josh. Josh came up and he said, you know, I don't, I don't think uh, I should get $100, uh, but I would love to participate. I'd love to be on assignment. And so you gave him $1, remember? His, his exact words, I think 100 is too much, but could I have a dollar? <laughs> yeah. So you gave him a dollar. Yeah. Uh, he went and printed some flyers that he would offer his services to pull weeds in the neighborhood. And then he, he brought $150. He multiplied no, to $150. $297. Oh, $297. Yeah. Okay, $297. From a dollar. Either way, we thought we should have given him $100. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, so that was King of Assignment 1. Uh, 100 people were involved, came back about $50,000, and all of it went out, right? It so it's all, all going out. out to refugees, the safe house, uh, women who are caught in abusive relationships, finding a place of, of safety and respite. Um, so many different stories. And then 90 days later, they're reporting back those stories, and we moved to Kingdom Assignment 2. Yeah, if you missed the first, we had this big report, and everybody was excited. There were great stories, and we said, okay, next week we're going to give Kingdom Assignment 2. And you know, people came back, and if you weren't part of it, you should be part of Kingdom Assignment 2. So Kingdom Assignment 2, um, you know, we shared the text from Luke chapter 12 when Jesus says, not even when a man has much does his life consist of the things he possesses. Go and sell your possessions and give to charity. I remember preaching that and saying, what do you think Jesus meant when he said, go and sell your possessions? Well, you got to really understand the Greek and the nuances. And what do you think it means? Probably go sell your possessions. Sell your possessions, yeah. It's like, what? Go sell your possessions. And I said, if, if that was a first century word of Jesus, what do you think he would say in our day? 
as you walk through our garage and attic and basement and closets, do we have too much stuff? And we just said, why don't we just do an experiment together? Let's go sell a possession worth $100. And if you want to do it, you just let us know, fill out this card. And 200 people said, I'll sell a possession worth $100. And I said, sometimes our possessions clog out our spiritual life and they get in the way. We have too much stuff and it interrupts our spiritual life because we love our stuff more than God. So let's, let's do an exercise together. Sell a possession, give to charity, make for yourselves money belts in heaven that will not decay. So 200 people did and we said, wow, 200 people sold something worth 100 would be $20,000. We said, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take an offering in, in uh, I think it was 60 days. And when the money comes in, we're going to give it all away. Calvary's not keeping any of it. We have vetted out in our community social service organizations who are doing the best work with the poor and those in need. And we're going to give all the resources that we receive away to them. And it's not going to go to the administrative of those organizations, but to the clients who need it most. So you go sell a possession. Well, people went and they sold TVs, um, cars, a Rolex watch, Somebody said, I've been trying to sell my timeshare for two years, and we just prayed as a family, God, if you help us sell it, we'll give it all to you. <laughs> Guess what happened? <laughs> they sold it. And when we took our offering, there were $83,000 that were brought in. We were overwhelmed. We said, we're giving it all away. We took 10% off the top and gave that to three other churches so they could do kingdom assignment number one. And all the rest we divided up into big chunks of money to give to these organizations who were going to go meet the needs of the poorest of the poor in Boulder County. And I remember going to one particular organization called Family to Family. It was led by these two women directors. And I went with Pastor Adrian, if you remember that name, and three of our elders. And we went in and we said, we did a little project at our church and we want to give you an offering. And she said, okay, yeah, fine. And we went over and we gave her a check for $20,000. And I remember when she opened it in the presence of pastors and elders, she said two words. She said, holy. And that's all I can tell you. <laughs> holy spirit. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. And then she covered her mouth in a kind of embarrassment. And then she sobbed. When she got composure, she said, I never would have imagined a gift like this from a church like yours. And he said, oh. <laughs> And when I went home to church on Sunday and I told that story, I said, you know what that means is that they don't think we're with them in meeting the needs of the needy. We got to get in the game. That's what these assignments are. Don't ever let possessions clog out your love for God and a generous heart. We, we learned a lot of lessons that day. That was kingdom assignment too. Uh, and then there were two more. So then that really becomes a big shift in this sequence where it goes from really spiritual financial to now relational. And so uh, we begin to invite in some of those organizations in town that we had developed some partnerships with who are working with those in the, the needs in our community. And they set up booths in the, what was the gymnasium at that point? Cafe. The cafe now. And uh, they, we, we, after service, we sent everybody down there to see if there was someone they could serve with. So then the assignment was 90 minutes of service in the next 90 days. Is that right? Yep. 
And so people begin to sign up and start serving alongside organizations and community members uh, within Boulder County. And that led to another kingdom assignment. So kingdom assignment that led into, I guess, five yep. or four. Yep. So after the serving in community, and this was all, what these assignments were, they were just tracks to run on. And then they weren't, they were like, we want this to be a part of our life. We, we don't love our money most. We, we give it away. We serve other people. And then we found out in the community, like, how, what can we do together in the community? We learned that the schools were in a real budget crisis. So we did this event called ShareFest. And ShareFest was um, canceling church on a weekend. And all 800 of us went out on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning and worked and then had a service together at Fairview High School. But we, uh, 800 of us, served three schools and did our best to refurbish them. And they were really reluctant to let us in the building, volunteers with paintbrushes. But they finally, uh, because of their need at the time of a budget crunch, they let Calvary Bible Church paint their schools and fix it up. And they said at the time, you guys probably have given us $100,000 worth of value here. Uh, Would you come back next year? (laughs) And we actually went seven consecutive years The next year, three churches joined us, and we had about 1,500 people who were in the school system. By year seven, we had 4,500 volunteers from 35 churches in, I forget. 45 churches, 135 sites. Yeah, 135 sites. Is that right? That we dispersed 4,500 people in the community of Boulder County and even down into Denver to, to say, we're here to help. And it was a transformational thing in which we said, the kingdom of God has come. We represent the king. We want to bring blessing to the world. And it was transformational for us. It was transformational. I mean, even within the community to say, a church like yours is like the church that we would imagine is, is a church that's really against us, is against us, is a force or a fortress. And, and now we see that you're for the community. You're a church that wants the total welfare of the community to be benefited. And what we, what we realized was that this was a big DNA shift for us and our mindset of we are kingdom people. And the kingdom did not remain far or aloof, but Jesus, the king of the kingdom, drew near. He came to be a man, to be experiencing the hardships in life that we experience and was with us as a very present help. And so we want to be kingdom people unleashed in the, in the city. And what we learned was, we talk about this in our outreach, is our good, our good deeds began to produce goodwill. And goodwill was then a platform to share good news, the good news of the gospel with people. And so good deeds turns into goodwill, what turns into opportunity to share good news. And, and what flowed from that is so many endeavors that you are now familiar with today that we just do naturally. Um, one of those things is the fact that we have service here in this building on the Erie campus. And so for, for one of the things that came out of it was this desire of we recognized a community out in Erie that didn't have a church uh, like Calvary. And so there was a Sunday where you preached another message and was missional to send a, a group of people out to Erie to plant uh, the very first campus. I mean, Calvary has planted many churches but this is our first campus endeavor. And the Erie campus met at the high school for many years while we looked for property. And we, we looked at more than two dozen properties and just could not really find one. And then the school board called us and said, we have a property that has softball fields on it that we're going to put up for sale. And we think that you should buy it from us. 
That's wait, this, wait, you get that? <laughs> the public school of this community called the church and said, we think you should buy our property. How does that happen? That's how it happens. They, they just said, you, you should have this. And you should have this. God gave it to us after we struck out on 200 pro- <laughs> properties. And so now there's a church in this community called Calvary, and you're here, and those good deeds of goodwill has led to the good news being proclaimed in Erie through Calvary Bible Church through all the different ministries, and that only has expanded. Uh, that has become our natural rhythms of working with refugees from South Sudan, refugees from Afghanistan, refugees in Syria, working with our local police departments, working with families um, who are caught in poverty, working with domestic violence, of um, women and children, uh, th- it just continues to multiply. Homelessness, uh, those are the things that came out of, wow, we have become kingdom people, realizing that our life is on assignment yeah. from God, that we in our strength, it's our obligation to come alongside and care for those in their times of weaknesses. Things like the heart of Advent that we do annually comes out of this. What we do with Micah 6.8, mercy and justice annually comes out of this. This is this, now who Calvary is. And we are now just living in part of our DNA as kingdom people. Yeah. And so today we, we want to talk about another kingdom assignment. Uh, thanks for clapping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we, we survey, you know, in our community right now that there is a great need, and that is for the families who have been impacted by the Marshall fires. Now, so many of you have already participated in numerous ways of caring for people um, that you know, uh, working with organizations. Some of you have already heard stories from working with Samaritan's Purse, sifting through the ashes at people's residences, trying to discover some things that, that made it through the fires and delivering those to the families. Uh, there's already a lot that's happening. And there's so, much, so many things that this church is already doing um, in relationship to the fire. We want to continue to expand on that and really focus it. We said in the very beginning that we weren't going to collect resources. We weren't going to start a Marshall Fire Fund and then try to distribute it to the people who needed it. We thought there were better organizations to receive those monetary gifts. But some continue to give. Your faithful generosity continues to just blow us away. And you gave to the Benevolence Fund. Our Benevolence Fund is set up uh, annually to care for families and those in our church and in our community in in times of financial needs. Well, our benevolence fund now is just overflowing. And so this is not a request to give, but this is a request now to give away. We wanna give you $100,000 to give away. The elders are starting by setting aside $100,000 from the benevolence fund Mm -hmm. to be given away to those who are in need because of the impact of the Marshall Fire that you're aware of. Now, there are families at Calvary that have lost their homes because of the Marshall Fire. We have already supported them, come alongside them, financially resourced them. They know that we are with them in the days to come, the weeks to come, the years to come, we'll be with them. If they need more, we're there for them. So this isn't for them. There are teams around each one of those families. This is for you to give away. Maybe there's a coworker you know, someone that you uh, do school with or sports with or your kids are connected with. Uh, someone that uh, was in the school system, whomever. Maybe it's a neighbor that has has impact on their life because of the Marshall Fire. So what we're going to do is this. If you go to counterbible.com 
and you can click on the Marshall Fire response page, there's a small application to fill out. What we're asking you to do is to fill out an application which describes like who you are, uh, what's the person's need, what's the situation, and how much you're requesting. Each member or those who are regular attendees of Calvary can apply for up to $2,500 in various ways to support the person that they know and that they love. Those applications will be vetted by a team. You will let the accountability be on us. We'll be accountable for all the dollars uh, where it goes. Those applications are all vetted by a team. And then upon approval, you will be resourced with uh, either gift cards or a check to deliver. This isn't to just like slide under somebody's door and just walk away. This is to personally go and communicate really three things. I know that you have big financial needs. This doesn't solve them. But this is something that just wants for, for me to remind you that I'm with you, that I haven't forgotten about you, that you're not alone. My church has started this thing and, and my church cares about you. And this is a reminder that God loves you and is present with you as well. And so we wanna, we wanna unleash the people of Calvary who have relationships with people who are in need right now to submit an application, to be resourced, be empowered, to go be the hands and feet of Jesus, be kingdom people, and then in 90 days, report back what were the stories that God did in your life, through your life, in other people's lives. Does that sound exciting? If we blow through $100,000, we'll get more. Because we really believe in being the people of God in times of needs. So when we help, it brings healing to those hearts that are hurting. We believe that. And we want to be the church. That's not a force. That's not a fortress. But it's the fragrance of life in our communities. Mm -hmm. And that good deeds will produce goodwill that has the opportunity to share the good news. Because what we all need more than anything is to be reconciled through Jesus Christ back to our Lord and Savior, the creator, the father of all things. Mm -hmm. Amen. So let's each of us serve our neighbor as they need. They're out there. You know them better than we do. We've done it sort of organizationally, but now we want to push out the work of the kingdom. And some of you are going to say, that's an assignment I could take. Every time we've done one of these assignments, there's a, a group of people who say, I want to do that. And the faith that builds when you do it is very inspiring. And it's eternally significant for many people. What ends up happening through all these assignments is people hear, there really is a God who loves me. It came through a church, people who are kingdom people who don't think of themselves but think of others. And, you know, we, we see people come to faith through this. And that's what we're praying for. The world is in trouble. Despair, despondency, anxiety, that's where we started. That's where the world is. And what we want to say is, let's go meet them where they are and say, we get it. We also know what difficulty and suffering is. Here's some grace. It's not the dollars. It's the personal connection. It's the ministry. It's the prayer. It's to being with your neighbor. That text in Romans says to build him up. I think it's building him up so he sees a bigger vision of God so she can see there's a church who knows there really is a God who's greater than us. My prayer is that the despair that is in the world, our soul is cast down through the loving kindness of this church, might lift up their head and say, there is a God, and love him.
Let's pray together. Yeah, we gonna stand? Let's all stand together. We'll continue to worship in just a moment. You want to pray? Father, thank you for the privilege of being um, a part of your kingdom. You're the king, and you let us experience all kinds of life challenges, and in the midst of it, our test is verified. Our, our faith is tested and verified that you really are the king who loves your people. Now I pray that by what we've talked about today, you might inspire some of our hearts to say, Lord, where can we go and be your presence, the hands and feet of Jesus in this community and beyond until all the world knows that there really is a Savior, a Lord Jesus Christ, who came to serve others and to give from the depths of his soul and his very life so that we might come to know you. So we just pray, God, to you be glory through what you're going to do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.